You're listening to Workers' Power on 4ZZZ with Jackson Calypso, and we'll have Bill on later because I forgot. <laughs> um, you just listened to Handcuff Season by In Real Life, and thank you to Artcart and Zedlines for those great shows and news and whatnot. Uh, today on the show, we do not have a guest, but we have plenty of workers' action, and of course, we'll be finishing off with our world famous Scalywag of the Week. Now, uh, before we get started, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast, or the Yagara and Turrbal people. This land was stolen, never ceded, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. We also acknowledge all First Nations comrades listening today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggle for recognition, reparations, and land rights. We live and benefit on stolen land. It's time to pay the rent. All right, and on that note, let's get started on our First Nations workers' action, where we are talking about the fight against the Adani mine. Do you want to read that? Yeah, okay. Drop-in aquifer levels near Adani mine sparks concern for sacred wetlands. Aquifer levels have dropped significantly near the Adani Carmichael coal mine since 2019, prompting concern from groundwater experts that the large volumes of water being pumped may have already locked in irreversible damage to sensitive wetlands. Groundwater monitoring data from one aquifer in southwest corner of the mining lease shows a drawdown of about 50 metres in the past two years. As Adani prepares to begin extracting coal from the Carmichael mine in Queensland, water issues loom as last-ditch hurdles. Guardian Australia revealed last month the company had obscured details about its plans to source large volumes of water after approval of a large-scale water scheme was overturned. The company later claimed its water sources were commercial in confidence. Now a group of Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owners say they are considering legal action to stop ongoing groundwater extraction from the coal seams at the Carmichael site. The group... The Wangan and Jingalingu Nagana Yarbin Cultural Custodians sent a detailed legal brief to the Queensland government in April, citing concerns about the risks to the sacred Dungmabula Springs. The brief included a report by RMIT University hydrogeologist Matthew Currell, which concluded that baseline groundwater data compiled by Adani was not adequate to protect the springs or fully comply with the mine's approval conditions. Carl said groundwater monitoring taken from Adani's website shows significant drawdown has already occurred in aquifers near the mine site, which suggests Adani has pumped very large but unknown volumes of groundwater over two years. Adani is not due to report its total water extraction for the 2020 to 2021 financial year until October. The miner took 854 million litres of groundwater during 2019 and 2020. Carroll said he was concerned such large volumes had been extracted when baseline data near the Dungmabula Springs was not sufficient to understand the water system and how it was ultimately impacted by mining. Carroll said in his report that beginning mining activity without gathering sufficient information about the water systems in the area risks causing irreversible damage to the springs. He said that effects of the mine activity would be delayed meaning any response could be too late, as the damage is locked in. Queensland authorities investigated the complaint made by the Wangan and Jingalingu Nagana Yarabian cultural custodians, which included claims that Adani's baseline data set did not fully comply with its conditions. Adani was required to take a baseline of at least 12 sampling events that are no more than two months apart over a two-year period. Carroll's report said Adani's sampling did not appear to have occurred at the required frequency. Last month, after learning about the investigation, Guardian Guardian Australia sent questions to the department about allegations. Adani had not met its conditions. The department asked for an additional day to respond because key departmental staff were away. The following day, it sent a letter to traditional owners saying the complaint had been dismissed. The department said in a subsequent statement that Adani sampling was far in excess of the numbers of samples required and met the intent of the condition. 
Carroll said Adani's groundwater quality data was likely effectively equivalent to the sampling requirement in its conditions. But he said the Carmichael mine had been allowed to proceed despite not having met other conditions that required it to include research into spring aquifer interactions. The plan was controversially approved uh, by the federal and Queensland governments in 2019, despite concerns raised prior by the CSIRO and Geoscience Australia, which found that Adani's groundwater models were not suitable to ensure the conditions of its environmental approvals were met and that it underestimated how much water the project would impact water levels at Doongmabula Springs Complex and the Carmichael River. Queensland authorities have regularly sought to dismiss criticism of its approvals and support for the coal mine by claiming it was subject to strict environmental conditions, which it has said would protect the land and the traditional owner's interests. Adrian Baragaba, a Wangan and Jingalingu traditional owner, said those claims rang hollow if the government did not seek to ensure strict compliance with conditions. He said the group was now considering its legal options. Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodians have seen how the construction and operations of the Carmichael coal mining project are causing environmental harm to our country, which in turn impacts our common law rights and those of other traditional owners, he said. We are calling for an immediate halt to the construction of the mine and independent review of the findings of the Queensland government's investigation into our call for urgent enforcement action. Baragaba said the Dungmabula Springs is a sacred site for Wangan and Jagalingu people and a part of our culture and our ceremonies. Adani said Guardian Australia was being used as a mouthpiece for anti-fossil fuel activists. The company dismissed Carroll's report on the basis of his involvement in an Australian Research Council-funded study of the Dungmabula Springs, which is being run in collaboration with Coast and Country, a conservation group that has opposed the Carmichael mine. Carroll said impacts to the springs from the mine may not be fully felt for decades, but that actions taken now would be critical for their future. That is a pretty um, bad, or, or bad story. Um yeah, they're, they're destroying... Government investigating itself. <laughs> yes, uh, well, um, yeah, so the, they're just uh, destroying the, gov- the environment and as well as a sacred site for Indigenous people. Um, and then the government is just dismissing it entirely. Uh, Absolutely. Science, the uh, traditional owners have been speaking up about this for years. Hmm. Um, just to be dismissed every time. Uh, but what do you expect from the government? <laughs> uh, well, we should be able to demand more if we work together, uh, fight fight the government and all that, as Indigenous people have been doing, and with, our, with the help of the rest of the community, they would be able to win, but that would require to organizing the rest of the community which absolutely. is a monumental effort but we're all affected by this we all drink water yeah yeah it's also as i've said like many many times we have the issues of indigenous people being one and the same with environmental issues uh, because of their connection to the land uh yes and now we are going to do some more workers action uh, first of all, we've got a short little thing here which says uh, Solidarity with workers in Sydney and New South Wales who are suffering the consequences of poor leadership from LNP, state and federal leaders. A call on levels of government to support workers. This can be done through bringing back JobKeeper and JobSeeker or, and also increasing them. Uh, it could force bosses to provide a safe, safe working environment and if not adequate PPE. Uh, the current lockdowns in Sydney are dramatically affecting low socioeconomic areas and industries. That's something that Bill wrote, um, and we definitely agree with. Uh, yeah, solidarity with those workers. Uh, workers who bear the brunt of uh, the, the majority of these things. So, um, yeah, thinking of them. Having a reliable job keeper is essential. 
Yeah. Um, cool. So now we're going to move on to some more workers' action. And we've got BCC. We've got two stories about the Brisbane City Council here, for, uh, as usual, being a bunch of grubs. And our first one is Brisbane City Council is racking up a huge bill for council's residents as it can continues to delay outcomes to bogus employee investigations. Over a hundred days ago, the council stood down a number of plumbing inspectors, raising allegations of little to no substance. Since then, the council has racked up more than a huge bill to be footed by Brisbane residents. Despite this, the council remains paralyzed with indecision. Last week, the services union wrote to council demanding that all stood down employees be returned to work immediately. The time for council to make a decision has expired and it is time for some answers. Yeah, so they just, they just fired a bunch of people for no reason. Yeah, they're just leaving them out there, you know, to limit, to not even knowing is sometimes the most, you know, um, the hardest thing to deal with, you know, that uh, uncertainty in your life, you know, and, um, you know, good on the um, services union for standing up for these workers. Oh, pretty, pretty simple story, pretty bad thing, and hopefully they can fight for their jobs back in ho- Like, in a situation like this, obviously you need um, a bit of uh, into workplace solidarity because they can't go on strike. But if other council workers went on strike to demand they get their jobs back, that is something that could be effective, even though it's uh, illegal. But, you know, if you'd been a unionist, you got to be prepared for a bit of illegality. Um, our next story is BCC versus the community, which is very related to 4ZZZ, but also a lot of other community groups. Do you want to read it out? Yes. Local community arts venue under threat in East Brisbane. It's outrageous that the council is saying that the only way East Brisbane and Kangaroo Point residents can have more green space is if they knock down the Backbone Arts building. Sadly, it seems like the council would rather knock down beloved community facilities than just do their job and invest in real new parkland to meet the needs of our growing community. We also hear reports of private school boat storage on prime real estate on the river is not under threat. Backbone, as a live music venue, as well as the theatre and youth arts, Backbone has also been providing a live music venue for East Brisbane for the last five years or so. Live music at Backbone brings together not just the local community, but also brings in people from all over Brisbane, and Backbone has hosted bands and acts from all over Australia and the world. There is a petition, and the community are organising on Facebook at Stop the Demolition of East Brisbane Bowls Club. Yes. Um, So for those who don't know, the Backbone is the new name of East Brisbane Bulls Club. So if you've ever been there, this was what we're talking about. Sounds cool. Yeah, it is. Sounds cooler than Bowls Club. (laughs) And uh, comrades, just uh, this this morning has been announced, always when I first found it, that there's a a rally um, to save uh, East Brisbane Bowls Club or Backbone, as Jackson just explained. And, and that's this Saturday from one uh, thirty at uh, Malbro Park. So I'd say to be somewhere near um, Backbone there itself. So uh, if you've, um, if any comrades out there uh, have got a bit of t- spare time on Saturday afternoon and want to stand up, fight back for the uh, community, um, get out there. Music and arts is so important for the community. Yeah, and these sort of community places have been, uh, well, the number of them have been decreasing and decreasing over the de- recent decades. And we're, they're definitely something that we need to be fighting for to keep and also to get more of. And the, as, as we see here, they just another one has come under threat and we just need to be able to make sure it doesn't get destroyed. You know, I know a way that our listeners can help to fight the... Uh vanishing of community-run places uh, like the Backbone Theatre. They can go to the rally, but they could also subscribe to 4ZZZ. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, I mean, for Triple Z itself take, puts on a lot of events there and helps keep it running, uh, such as Sonic Masala, which is happening in August. I'm so excited for that. Uh, yeah. So, that is um, a good story, and hopefully... We'll, we'll we'll keep we'll keep you updated on it as the as the fight goes on, and we'll hopefully be able to give you some good news down the road. And or if that's bad news, we'll still report on it in a very angry voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about some more workers' action. Uh, first up, we've got a story from the AMWU. So, yesterday, workers at GNS Engineering in Mackay and Biloela completed their protected action ballot and returned a 97% yes vote to take industrial action to further their enterprise agreement claims. Workers at GNS Engineering did the right thing by the company. They took a pay freeze when times in the coal industry were tough, but GNS never returned that goodwill. The base trade rate has not written, risen in seven years. Making matters worse, their current offer still doesn't address dis- disparities between Mackay and Belo workers until years down the track. So now they are taking industrial action until GNS table a fair offer. Uh, the, the time for charm, wit and intelligence is over. <laughs> okay. What do you mean by the that? The true and tested way that workers... Uh, get results is by withdrawing their labor ah right so it's time to stop with the uh the the little um shame campaigns and start focusing on the real material things you mean oh well you can always do both i suppose um (laughs) uh yeah so that 97 percent vote in favor of industrial action that's pretty awesome um and yeah, and uh, good on them. Hope they win. We'll keep our eyes peeled as uh, things progress and um, and see what they're up to. It's uh, not that far from our neck of the woods, really. Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, we'll keep we'll try and uh, keep uh, workers, power comrades in, informed of uh, of the progress of the struggle. Yeah. Uh, so now we are going to move on to our next story, which is from the United Workers Union. Do you want to read this one out, Bill? Yeah, right on. So uh, when Sky City completed its $330 million renovation in late 2020, the Adelaide Casino rapidly grew to include a new five-star luxury hotel, exclusive food and beverage outlets, and expanding gaming facilities. However, casino staff were disappointed to find that the renovation of the hotel included the removal of sanitary products from staff bathrooms. After months of delay, union members raised their concerns with the company about the lack of support for employees' dignity at work. It was only after raising these concerns through their union that progress was finally made. And members were advised by uh, Sky City that sanitary products would be reintroduced to staff bathrooms and would now be free of charge. Uh, United Workers Union member Georgia described the important win by stating that all employees should recognise that this is a basic human right, especially since it's a normal bodily function. It's really about respect for people because we don't know what someone is going through. This is an important this important win was made possible because union members work together. Yeah. Um, good to good yeah, good to highlight a you know, um, a, a workplace struggle and, and, and how you can get things done, you know, in, in, in uh, workplace campaigning. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's especially important things that will often affect, um, go unnoticed because they only affect women. Um, and <laughs> women's issues are typically not taken seriously uh, in the workplace. Um, but these workers stood together and um, fought together, even though it only affected uh 
a, 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 part, a small part of the workforce. Well, I don't know about small part, but a part, but <laughs> not the entirety of it. Well, don't, don't they say that an injury to one is an injury to all? Exactly, yeah. And now we're going to talk a bit about the workers' power gig that Bill's been organising. Which... Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, on uh, Friday, uh, 13th of August, uh, at uh, Common House, uh, Workers' Power, um, in association with Zang Records and 4ZZZ, have organised uh, for a, a, a very special gig, I think. Bands that... Uh, their, their politics align very, very nicely with uh, workers' power, and those bands are Last Croaker, um, as we just played there, and also uh, Plaster of Paris are visiting us from Melbourne. Now you have a spanking new debut album, which I think is really, really good, um, and uh, the, the, so and also uh, supported by uh, locals, um, Marville. And uh, they never, they never ever disappoint with the loudest guitar and drums combo that can be heard from Anstead to Wellington Point to Browns Plain to Burpengary. So tickets are extremely limited. Um, yeah, and uh, you can get them on. Uh, uh, well, we put a link on our Facebook page, so um, head through that and uh, and get your tickets quick. Yeah, it's going to be a really cool show. It's happening at Common House, um, which I'm sure you said, uh, which is a great place to hold a gig. Um, there might even be some uh, special guest appearances from some uh, radical radio hosts. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope I hope Workers Power's there. I love Workers Power. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So. Uh, everyone, check that out. It's going to be great. Bill's been working very hard on it for quite a while now. Now we're going to do some more New Year's. This time it is from the Australia Post Workers. Take us away. Yes, and there ain't no turning back for the Australia Post Workers. Workers have come a long way since the rocky start to bargaining 10 weeks ago. Despite lockdowns, negotiations for a new EBA have continued over recent weeks and we're pleased to share that the CEPU and CPSU and Australia Post have now reached an agreement in principle. The proposed new agreement would lock in the following key outcomes for members. A 3% per annum compounding pay rise, the highest known public sector wage outcome, double the Australian average of 1.5 per annum. Wages will increase in September each year, compounding to 9.27% in real terms, new money paid entirely in salary increases, not one-off bonuses, over the life of the proposed three-year agreement. A 3% per annum increase to all dollar figure EBA allowances, no trade-offs, all existing EBA 9 conditions, including hours of duty, penalty rates, leave entitlements, full-time employment preference, and the Triple R agreement will be rolled over and protected. A new $0.29.09 shift allowance for A-double drivers, a joint review of the national transfer system to improve processes and ensures local long-term casuals in regional areas can be accommodated, a joint review of the board of references and dispute process with a view to streamlining the process for arbitrating disputes in the Fair Work Commission. A joint review of higher duties allocations to ensure employees are not unfairly disadvantaged by rostering arrangements. A joint review of the employee counselling and dis disciplinary process. A joint review of technical and engineering classifications, including provisioning of clear requirements for salary advancement. Continuation of the New South Wales ACT Retail Saturday Trading Agreement, securing Monday to Friday ordinary hours, rostering with voluntary Saturday additional hours slash overtime arrangements. To ensure the current classification structure accurately reflects the work undertaken by retail members, restoring RDOs to retail members who had them removed as part of COVID arrangements, restoring fifth week R. ARL entitlements to van drivers who had them removed due to changes to Sunday SPB clearances for the 2020 and 2021 year, subject to them remaining van drivers at 31st of December 2021. 
A joint review of Sunday van duties to maximise opportunities for overtime and access to additional ARL entitlements. A joint review of injury management process. A new independent ergonomic review of delivery modes of transport, including EDVs, with obligations to implementing any safety recommendations without delay. The ability for members to cash out of annual leave more frequently than currently allowed and securing the rights of our workplace AURs, the Delegates Charter, which contains these rights, will be submitted to the Fair Work Commission with the EBA and delivery model terms of reference. As part of the overall package, the CEPU and Australia Post have also agreed on terms of reference document, which is a necessary step in replacing the ADM. The TOR sets the framework for development and implementation of a new model across the delivery network and provides important additional safety, job security and take-home pay protections for members, including new start times for each facility to be determined between state branch secretaries and state management prior to the local working groups, commencing the implementation process. Members to have genuine participation in developing their local operating model, including job and round design, resourcing requirements and modes of transport through the LWG process. AURs nominated by each state branch will participate in the national working group with the, their state and national offices and national level management to develop local guidelines for the national rollout and determine unresolved disputes arising from the LWGs. The Fair Work Commission will be empowered to hear and determine delivery model disputes that cannot be resolved internally in accordance with the EBA dispute resolution procedures. Protection against forced involuntary job losses in operational areas impacted by letter decline, including delivery, transport and mail processing and delivery pay parity locked in for good and extended to regions, 15% payments will continue to replace penalty rates at ADM sites and will be extended to PDOs at all remaining delivery facilities across the country. This payment is protected by the TOR for the life of the proposed agreement and will be added to the rates of pay manual as postal delivery allowance moving forward past the next EBA. What a long list of wins. Yeah, they have So many protections, so many reviews, and a pay rise. I wish they had included like how they got all that. Like that's a crazy amount. And stuff? I don't think I've read a dot point list that long on I this mean, show before. I remember reading reading a little while ago about um, industrial action the posties were taking. Yeah, and I'm not sure if this is related, but I assume it is because like it's got to be. Yeah, like that's was, a lot. You can't win this without <laughs> threatening the boss like pretty seriously it's pretty cool yeah they're not just offering to just like review one thing they're like okay we'll review everything the workers have secured control over how their business is run and job security that's so important yeah yeah the control thing that um, the members to have genuine participation in developing their local operating model including job and round design resourcing requirements and mode of transport through the local working group process that is really cool like to have um well it's i wouldn't call it workplace democracy but it's like a step towards it absolutely and that's how it should be the workers know more about how the job is run on the day-to-day than anyone at the higher level they know what needs to be done they know how to arrange it yeah it's pretty pretty great stuff um cool uh, <laughs> uh, no, not much else to say about that. Let's celebrate with a song. Oh, there's some, there's plenty to say oh, about that. Still has stuff to say about it, lovely. Yeah. Oh, there's, 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 there's a few points. So the, the the main one that I, I kind of wanted to to uh, talk about was uh, in regards to how there's there's uh, see Australia Post is big. It's an industry within itself, right? But there's all these different workers that are covered by these EBA. And, and uh, one, one thing I want to highlight is, is how important that they all stand together. Because some of these points, you know, you, you look at the, the shift allowance, 29 bucks a day allowance for A-double drivers, right? That, that's, that's a big chunk of change. That's 150 bucks a week, comrade. comrades. That's that's a big, big chunk of change. But, um, you know, posties don't get that. The retail workers don't get that. But they're there fighting for that for in solidarity with their other workers. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of good points. And you guys have already um, reiterated the, the, the really good one where the, 
the, the new start times for each facility is to be determined between straight branch secretaries and the state management prior to the local working groups commencing the implementation process. Fantastic. Yeah, and it's the highest known public sector wage outcome. Yeah, the compounding. So they're raising the bar for everyone else in the public sector now. Yeah, rising tide lifts all ships. And, and um, the, the point that they make there that it's not bonuses, they're genuine pay rises. A lot of uh, EBAs that we've been reporting uh, over the last year or so um, and retail uh, industry love doing it is, is where they give everyone a, a small one-off payment. But the thing is, with one-off payments, you don't get it next year. Yeah, this will happen each September. Yep. Every year for the length of the agreement. Good on those workers. And, uh, yes, uh, uh, that, that, I think it's up to... They've all got to vote it, vote it through and all that type of uh, process. So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye out on it for sure. Now we are going to go into international workers' action crossing the ocean to, first of all, Bangladesh, where there has been... Uh, murders by bosses, not like stabby murders, but by negligence. So, uh, just a content warning: this is it, it includes people dying, being killed, um, which can be a bit distressing. Uh, so, police in Bangladesh have arrested eight people on murder charges in connection with a factory fire that killed at least fifty-two people many of whom were trapped inside by an illegally locked door. Home Minister Khan said among those detained was the managing director of Sajib Group, which owns the factory. It's a murder, Mr Khan told reporters as he visited the factory site on Saturday. Bangladesh has a tragic history of industrial disasters, including factories catching fire with workers locked inside. Big international brands, which employ tens of thousands of low-paid workers in Bangladesh, have come under heavy pressure to improve factory conditions. In similar cases, factory owners have faced culpable homicide charges for negligence, and it's illegal for a factory to lock its exits when workers are inside during production hours. The main exit of the factory that caught fire Thursday was locked from the inside, a fire service and civil defense official said, and many of those who died were trapped. Touch one of us, touch all of us. So things like this go to the heart of why our local manufacturing industries are declining. We need to stand in solidarity as a class to eradicate this exploitative system that exploits workers on many le- levels. Check that label next time you buy a new shirt. There is no reason for that door to have been locked. Yeah. Well, well, obviously, you've got to keep your workers inside so they can't go out and take a break un- unsupervised. Uh, you'll lose profit that way, you know. That's so messed up. Yeah, that's, like, that, that's, it's all about profit. They, whenever a worker dies, it is because it was more profitable for, for to risk losing their life than it was to... Um, yeah, that's it. It's just more profitable to risk losing our life than to implement the correct safety methods. And, like, this isn't even, like, necessarily about profit. This is just about controlling workers, making sure that you know where they are at all times. It's about, yeah, uh, rather than, like, any sort of actual efficiency increase in the factory. Oh. All of those higher-ups need to be tried for murder. Yeah, uh, it looks like they might be actually. You know, they got arrested and stuff, which is, um, which is something that you don't even see in Australia very mm. often. Um, yeah, when a yeah, concrete um, slab falls on a kid, no one gets arrested. But Bangladesh have, but you know, they as mentioned in the, um, as we reported that uh, uh, there's there's been a series of fires over the years, but they they have been improvements in in the retail garment um, industry a little bit you know um, not not to uh, the standard that uh, we would like of course um, but um, you know there have been charges um, this is in a this was in a uh, I think it was outside the garment industry but it's still affecting the garment industry and uh, 
Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, so they've got a lot of industries that they've got to clean up over there. But um, I, I just uh, wanted to put in there that the uh, I, I like the politician, Home, Home Minister Khan, um, you know, telling reporters it's a murder. Like it. That's what we like to hear. Hmm. Yeah, because it is a matter. Like, if you're if you're like controlling people through employment, then, um, and you put them in a situation where they could die, that is you literally murdering them. Uh, if they do die, um, which they did. Yeah, the door should have been unlocked. Someone had to deliberately lock it. So, that's that's a deliberate act of putting their lives at risk yeah uh so now we're going to move on to our next story which is from myanmar uh do you want to read this out calypso yep the chin national front fight for a federated myanmar full-throated they belt out songs of victory their boots adding the drumbeat as ranks of new recruits jog in formation through their jungle training camp they pour into Camp Victoria, the headquarters of the long-standing ethnic army of the Chin National Front in western Myanmar, close to India's border. The Chin National Front was founded on the 20th of March, 1988. This organisation seeks a federal union based on self-determination, ethnic equality and democracy. Many volunteers come from the within the surrounding mountainous territory, but many others make the dangerous journey across Myanmar in search of military skills. On the cusp of adulthood, these volunteers say they demonstrated against the military coup that took power in February. And as the junta's response has grown increasingly bloody, so they have taken up arms. The soldiers defy attempts by the camp's leadership to suspend training because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Suikar, vice chairman of the CNF, said now it's a kind of an urban guerrilla type conflict, but within months it will transform into a conventional civil war. Suikar explained that his movement and the Chinland Defence Force, which are also being trained at Camp Victoria, were led by Myanmar's National Unity Government, which is a loose alliance of anti-junta forces and has no command or control authority over the armed groups inside Myanmar itself. One young fighter explained that he was the commander of what started out as a 10-person group specially trained in urban guerrilla warfare. The Junta army is striking back ruthlessly. The Tatmadaw is using its long-established four-cuts counterinsurgency strategy in these areas, a cruel approach that deliberately targets civilians in an effort to, pr- to provide insurgents of food, funds, recruits, and intelligence on troop movements, hence the four cuts. Attacks on populated areas are an integral part of this strategy, along with the looting of food stores and denial of relief supplies. Near Camp Victoria, many people are leaving outlying villages for small refugee encampments or safety in Indian communities across the Tuai River. Most of the refugees are women, children and the old. They all left their villages for the same reasons. Tiao Song, an elderly woman who was sitting under the orange plastic sheeting of a newly erected shelter said, I am really afraid of the Myanmar military because they're very nasty and they are a very brutal military. 20 years ago, the military tortured my son in my own house. They hit him on the head. There was blood all over his head and that's why I am really afraid of them. Beyond the outer defences of Camp Victoria, the mountains of the Chin State leap in near vertical waves of thick jungle. Travel is on precipitous mountain passes along tiny mud tracks. Locals, many of them experienced hunters, have the edge over invading armies. They also have the mass intelligence network of their own communities, with fighters receiving live updates of enemy troop movements from village agents all over the state. Getting in or out of the chin-controlled zone is a grueling test of endurance. It often involves entire days of backbreaking, bouncing along the mud-slicking tracks on the back of small motorbikes. These little 125cc bikes carry fighters, ammunition, and food to far-flung camps run by the Chinland Defence Force. John Ling gave up history studies at the University of Yangon to join the insurgency. Swapping the classroom for a hilltop camp, he's the administrator or quartermaster 
for about 150 other volunteers. When asked if he is afraid of being killed, he replies with, no, because I stand for my country, adding that his parents are not worried about him, but proud of the stand that he's taken. The armory is an A-frame tent of plastic sheeting and tree trunks. Its precious contents, dozens of shotguns designed for shooting birds, are lined up along each wall. On the floor, a log fire burns to keep the damp out and rust off the guns. Sua Carr, the Chin National Front Vice Chairman, is adamant that these fighters will soon be supplied with automatic firearms such as AK-47s. There are international smugglers. You can get weapons anywhere, he insists, but is opaque about how those weapons would be paid for. People don't People donate, raise the funds, so I don't think that money will be a problem. The CNF is one of the 16 ethnic armies and hopes for cooperation among them against a common enemy, all in the name of federalism. Yeah, so that's more about the war going on in Myanmar. Uh, this is a little look into like uh, one of their bases of the, one of the re- resistance bases, um, and they, yeah, it, it's uh, looks like they have a whole area under their control because of the, um, it look, it's like up in the mountains. Yeah, the terrain, the giving stuff. them an advantage. Yeah, uh, which is often how these sorts of wars are won through, like, like yeah, guerrilla tactics, basically. Uh, such as the Vietnam War by having the terrain advantage in like really difficult terrain you um, can take you can have it like a small group take out a, well not take out but like definitely hold their own against a large army and people are volunteering yeah yeah of course they are. I mean it's that's a literal dictatorship which is killing civilians and that so they and that is obviously bad so they're taking a stand to fight against it um good on them i say um yeah it's when you're faced with a military dictatorship you need to be able to meet that violence with violence of your own and you can't you can't exactly um they don't have any other choice yeah well they're hoping that uh the good old coalition or that's the nickname for the AK-47, uh, may change things a little bit for them for the better. Uh, sometimes you just got to fight fire with fire. Now we are going to talk about some of the upcoming events happening in the city that uh, will help the workers struggle. Uh, so first of all, we've got on Wednesday the 14th of July, that is tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. It is an online forum. The May 1st movement congratulates the better red than dead workers who have not only taken a huge step forward for themselves, but also every retail and bookshop worker in the country. The forum is on tomorrow to evening to let workers know how they can support these workers. Uh, we have shared the event on the Workers Power Facebook page, so be sure to check it out and be a part of workers' history. And now the Better Than Dead are uh, Rafu. They're being organised by Rafu, which yes. is pretty cool. Uh, so is there anything any, anything you want to say about that, Bill? No, no, this has been organised by the um, the community. And, uh, yeah, it's um, there, there's a lot of uh, people down there and workers who want to show solidarity with uh, the Better Red Than Dead workers. So, um, yeah, that's... Uh, Definitely a part of history. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, and then we've got the Brisbane Protest Religious Freedoms Bill, No Right to Discriminate. So that will be at King George Square on, oh, uh, Saturday 14th of August at 1pm. So conservative politicians and lobbyists are on the warpath against LGBT plus rights. The Federal government, the federal Liberal government will introduce legislation this year that gives bigots more powers to discriminate against employees, patients, students, clients, and customers. Attorney General Michaela Cash, who voted no to marriage equality, has been consulting with extreme right-wing groups like the Australian Christian Lobby on the contents of the bill. Under the previous drafts of the Religious Discrimination Bill, 
every pharmacist, doctor, and nurse in the country could deny contraceptive or morning-after pills, abortions, or hormone therapy to any patient. Any boss... That's a bit of a weird one. You wouldn't expect an abortion doctor to (laughs) deny abortion. Anyway, uh, any boss could uh, tell their transgender employees that they are a crime against God and are going to hell. All religious schools, aged care providers, and businesses could sack any LGBT plus employee. Religious charities could deny shelter, clothes, or food to LGBT people in need. Uh, daycare providers could tell mothers that raising a child without a father is child abuse. All strong protections in state-based legislation for LGBT people, such as Tasmania, would be annulled. Powerful forces are pushing for this year's version to be even more heinous. The Catholic and Anglican hierarchies seem to re-legalize conversion therapy, recently banned in Queensland and Victoria. Conversion therapy is a form of torture against LGBT people. A religious discrimination bill of this type is already being moved in New South Wales Parliament with Liberal and Labour support providing a model and momentum for a federal attack. This New South Wales bill has been moved by extreme right-winger Mark Latham of One Nation, who is also moving a bill that would sack any New South Wales teacher that supported transgender students. The vast majority of Australian society opposes special riots for religious bigots to discriminate. In 2019, a central poll found that 64% of people believe that... uh, 64% believe that people should not be allowed to use the excuse of religious freedom to abuse others. In the 2018 YouGov Galaxy poll found that a whopping 80% of people oppose the rights of religious schools to fire or explore gay teachers and students. Religious freedom is nothing more than a Trojan horse for for right-wing minority of employers, politicians, and megachurch hierarchs to fight and extend their power and privilege. The majority of Australia supports LGBT and women's rights, and if we stand together against the bigots, we can defeat their attacks and protect our right to be free from discrimination. This is incre- incredibly important, especially as a workers' issue. Imagine being fired for being gay. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's something that um, happens often in America, where they don't have like a where you can be fired for any reason, and um, that is. We have to stop this before it takes root. Yeah. And, Team um, strike. This is workers' issue. Yeah, it uh, definitely is. Because um, <laughs> obviously, you won't see any rich gay people being very affected by this because they can just pay money to get what they want. Uh, so this is yeah, um, and this is rally is happening once again on at King George Square on the fourteenth of August at one p.m. Uh, and next, this event is happening today. Tonight. Yeah. Uh, do you want to read that? Yeah. So this is the film screening happening at Common House tonight at 6.30. A screening of the 1985 documentary Rocking the Foundations, which follows New South Wales chapter of the Builders Labourers Federation. It covers their hard-fought campaign to protect the environment and history of Sydney from powerful property developers and their lackey, the then-prime... Premier Robert Askin. This film discusses unionism, direct action, community mobilisation and the links between the labour and ecological struggle. It has some important lessons to teach those who want to take on capital and the bosses like the BLF and the militant community groups did in the 70s. I think it's going to be an awesome film screaming and there's a lot to learn from from, uh, the past movements in Australia. Come along. It's free. Common House. Yeah. 6.30 tonight. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, yeah, the, the BLF, obviously, great. Good on them. And Green Band's been... Hap- uh, there's been a Green Band recently in uh, Sydney protecting the uh, Willow Grove uh, House Hospital type thing, which is very historically important. Um, and hopefully that's something that can spread all over Australia once again uh, to protect uh, like to especially uh, get to stop climate change is the big one there we need to stop climate change absolutely and these new properties that the property developers are proposing they're not even climate change proof right yeah (laughs) so 
Yeah, they're just uh, focusing on short-term profit instead of um, like actually surviving as a species. Um, now we got to get through our scallywag of the week, and we'll be finishing off the show. So, Bill, do you want to read out the scallywag? Yes. Uh, so, uh, firstly, uh, we should mention the Brisbane City Mayor in this space. Uh, as we t- discussed earlier in the show, he, his LMP council is no friend of workers and ordinarily may have won the award this week, but uh, we just couldn't go past Stephen Kane, the Coles CEO, with the announcement that hundreds of Coles butchers could be on the chopping block as the supermarket giant considers a switch is selling only pre-packaged meats in its stores. The move could see trade-qualified butchers and other meat workers redeployed into different roles, according to the Australasian Meat Industry Employees Union. The union's Queensland branch secretary, Matt Jeanneau, said such a move could be devastating for Coles butchers and said customers might go elsewhere for fresh meat. A lot of these Coles butchers have been there for 20 and 30 years, some in excess of 30 years, Mr Jono said. So this is absolutely devastating if these people are made redundant. Obviously, that industry knowledge and that ability to look after customers goes with them. Mr Jono said many Coles butchers were trade-qualified experts who had undergone a four-year apprenticeship and being moved to a job such as store worker would be a fairly would be a fairly large backwards step. I think people will make a decision based on Cole's proposed go to uh, retail ready, and hopefully it will see more meat sales within the private butchers shops. He said. So yeah, buddy. Well, they've been doing it for years. They're just, you know, they've been doing it by stealth for years and they're just hurrying the thing along. And, uh, you know, and uh, that's Stephen Kane. He, he's won the award many a times. He's a genuine scallywag and a real contender for scallywag of the year. Yeah, and this sort of thing, it's um, it's it's like a further uh, crate turns uh, the meat we buy from the butchers into a commodity by like removing us from the workers who actually turn that into the thing we buy, which is uh, which is a thing that has gone back to like well Marx talked about it a lot, and a, you'd expect it to be all done by now, but like yeah, they're even going further here, just removing the butchers and just selling the meat in little prepackaged things, uh, whereas before we could like see it being done and actually understand the work that went into what we were buying and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so shame on Coles. Um, but now it is 11.58 and we are going to end the show. Uh, we're going to, um, first of all, there'll be Zed Lines and then Brisbane Lines. Uh, I think so. I don't know. Um, Brisbane Lines. Either way, there'll be news coming up. Um, so keep tuned. It'll be pretty cool. Uh, see you then. See you next week, comrades.